Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig Eventually. Hello. Dave. Eventually. And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we start our week with good thing. Uh, Craig is currently restarting his computer because he's having some technical issues. So we'll we'll swing back to him. Uh, Dave, what's your good thing this week? My good thing this week is Spelunky 2. It just came out on PC this week. It's a lot of fun. I haven't beaten it yet. It's very hard. I can't tell if there's more uh, unfair bull crap than the first game, or if I'm just not used to it yet, but it's still fun. I have a question for you. Okay. Did you pick Spelunky 2 right now today specifically because you knew Craig was also going to pick Spelunky 2, and because just this once you're going before him, you got to steal it? He would never do that. He ruined it by not being here, but I still had to do it. I, I love this plan. I'm excited to is be a it part of it. Is it better that he's not going to be here, or is it? <laughs> so no. Let's, let's when, when he does get on, let's not tell him that that was your good thing, and let's see if it's his good thing. Okay. Oh, it's it's for sure going to be his good thing. <laughs> I already I already know it's going to be his good thing. Um. So yeah, the what I've seen of it is what Craig has streamed. Uh, some of what Craig has streamed. I haven't been active on Twitch in a while. Um. And the the best change that I'm aware of is that in addition to there being a dog you can rescue, there's a cat you can rescue. No, the cat is terrible. The cat is the worst part of the game. I I turned off the cat. So like it's it's kind of cute looking, and like the devs of the game didn't realize that cats make cute noises sometimes, and chose only to put the annoying sounds cats make as its cry for help. However, there's a super-duper adorable best character in the game, Hamster, that you can rescue instead. You guys, I think Dave might just not like cats. I used to. <laughs> but then you met some? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't, they're not great. They're, they're, they can be cute, but, you know, they're, you know, when they actually just, like, headbutt you all day, it's not, it stops being cute. I mean, to be fair, all of my cats are dumb a-holes but I love them anyway. Uh, well, I mean, my mom loves me, so... There we go. Tori, do you concur on cats largely being dumb a-holes that oh, you love yes. anyway? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I've got... Um, so two of my three cats right now are just terrible. They're, they're, if they were people, they would be awful people. Um, my little black cat, Shade, is the kind that likes to knock stuff down just to watch it fall. And Wraith is, she's a gorgeous little calico cat, but she is, you're going to have to beep this out. She's a, I always tell her, it's a good thing you're pretty because you're a. Oh, Tori, that's a female dog. All right. Two mutes incoming. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cats are the worst people, but we love them anyway. Like that's, that's sort of how you can tell the difference between someone who actually has a cat and someone who just likes cats recreationally. Like, if you actually have a cat, you will talk crap about them constantly. Or at least I do. So, the the thing is, the cat in Spelunky 2, though, rather than going like... It goes like... 
So I, I couldn't stand it anymore, and I just decided to only have hamster because hamster is adorable. Those were uh, wonderful ear feels. <laughs> Uh, I'm tempted to I'm tempted to leave them in because they still aren't as terrible as that one noise you made that I that I muted out. Just uh, just lower the volume on it a little bit. The amplitude will probably be okay. Uh, so were then way away from the mic when you made those, so they barely came through anyway. Uh, good. So um, if you guys don't know, Spelunky is a a roguelike, which means it's procedurally generated. The game's slightly different every time you play. And it's kind of like uh, Indiana Jones, where you have a whip and you go around whipping snakes and uh, exploring temples and taking priceless artifacts to not put in a museum, just like Indiana Jones. And uh, this is technically, I guess, the third game in the installment. There was this like retro 8-bit kind of one, and then there was Spelunky HD, and then this, here we have is Spelunky 2. And for those of you that played the first game... I would say that mechanically the best change of the game is that the climbing gloves don't automatically stick you to walls and force you to bonk into enemies constantly, since you actually have to press forward to hold onto the wall and stay on. Oh, so like wall grabbing mechanics in every other day in every other game that has wall grabbing mechanics. Uh something, sort of. Like if you're on the if you're on the edge of a cliff, then you still don't have to press a button like in Spelunky one. But if you're just on the side of a wall, so yeah, I guess I don't know. Not um, that's not true because uh, X Men Two: The Clone Wars on Sega Genesis had wall grabbing mechanics where you just like attack at a wall and then stick to it. All right, I stand corrected by X Men Two: The Clone Wars for Sega Genesis. Uh, so my good thing this week is I totally had something. And I'm blanking on it. Mario 35? Huh? Is it Mario 35? No, I haven't played it. I'm completely blanking on what my good thing was going to be this week. Mm. It's gone. Uh, so let's go with uh, Nightwatch, the Discworld book. I read it yes. pretty recently. It is, It is, in my opinion, as good as a book can be. I have read other books that are as good as it in different ways, but I don't know that I've ever read a better book, like an objectively better book than Nightwatch. Uh, so the the plot is that Sir Samuel Vimes, um, commander of the City Watch of Ankh-Morpork, uh, gets thrown back in time with a horrible, horrible sociopathic criminal named Carcer uh, back to the glorious revolution of, what was it? Tori, help me out here. Uh, Triacle Mine Road? Yes. The, yes. Um, basically, there's a changeover in, in power at, at the level of the patrician in Ankh-Morpork 30 years previous. And, yeah, Sam goes back in time to relive that, except at his currentness instead of when he was then. So it's not like a Quantum Leap situation. It's a, it's a Back to the Future situation. And it's fantastic. It is one of my favorite Discworld books. It is significantly less silly than most of them. Uh, it takes itself far more seriously than than most Discworld books. And it also contains what is probably my second favorite uh, death appearances. My favorite is in... What was the one where Sam went to Uberwald? 
The Fifth Elephant. The Fifth Elephant. That one is my favorite one because that one is when when Death uh, talks about the very many near Sam Vimes experiences that he has. So whenever Sam Vimes has a near-death experience, Death has to be there. So at the same time that Sam is having a near-death experience, Death is having a near-Vimes experience. And that's that's just delightful to me. Um, but in this one, there is... The t- there is no more time for cake. And it's a wonderful line, and I love it. Uh, and you should all read Discworld, because Discworld is phenomenal. And Terry Pratchett was a wonderful person who left the world too soon. So I agree. Tori, would you like to talk about Nightwatch, or would you like to move on to your own good thing? Oh, well, not necessarily Nightwatch, because I think you about covered it. But my favorite appearance of death is in The Light Fantastic. Um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse have, or the apocalypse, because it's the apocryphal apocalypse. They don't know if it's real. Um, they've stopped in at a tavern on their way to the end of the world because they were early. So they decided to have a drink. And while they were in there having their drink, three of the four horses got stolen. And so there's just a conversation where death says, weight doesn't come into it. My horse has carried armies. My horse has carried cities. It carries all things in their due time. But it's not bloody well going to carry you three. And one of the other horsemen says, oh, well, it's going to look pretty good then because of the one horseman and three pedestrians of the apocalypse. (laughs) That is pretty good. And I wouldn't want Binky to have to carry four people. But if anyone could, he could. Sure. But I wouldn't want him to have to. Also, the fact that Death rides a real horse whose name is Binky because he tried the skeletal horses and they just kept falling apart and you always had to wire the bits back on and the flaming horses get terribly uncomfortable. And so he rides a real horse. Uh, Anyway, so my good thing um, this week, I have two. First, because I am recording live from the library at work. Uh, so my first good thing is my very tolerant co-worker, Jeff, who is a great guy and is covering the phones while I do this. Thanks, um, Jeff. Yes. Everybody, send your love to Jeff. He doesn't listen to our podcast, but uh, maybe he'll pick up the good vibes. Um, my other good thing is October, because it's October right now. At the time of recording, it is October 3rd. October is my favorite month. Halloween is my favorite holiday. I feel that good things are coming. 2020 has been crap all around, but now it's October and everything is going to be better. I believe this in my heart, you guys. So I had a conversation the other day about uh, holiday decorations, and I made the assertion that while Christmas decorations should be limited exclusively to at the earliest November 1st and at the latest December 31st, Halloween decorations are appropriate all year round. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I keep a jack-o'-lantern on my computer desk at home, like a a little ceramic one, and it just makes me smile every time I look at it. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I am your host, Podstar Runner. This week, we're going to be talking about Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell. Uh, So a little bit of setting in this book. Uh, The world is basically Attack on Titan, but instead of giants, it's ghosts. So... They've got, like, the fortified cities where all the sane people live. And then uh, you've got some people that wanted to go and live out in the forests and where all the ghosts are roaming around. But as long as you follow the simple rules, then the ghosts shouldn't bother you, theoretically. 
And also, you can hold them off with silver. Alright, so let's go. Uh, Deathly Hallows icon. I want White Fox to be a hybrid reference to Lord of the Rings and Metal Gear. Dagon wants a free drink. Madam Silence owns the bar. So that's like 75% of the title. Where's the shadows? And we got Silence is a stout woman, but Dagon is a lager man. Fewer and fewer people came this way lately. Too many shades. So that's almost shadows. That's like 95% of the title. Also, Madam Silence is totally White Fox or her daughter. But if it's not one of them, then it's just Old Man Jenkins. And that's the end of the framing scene. Takes place in a bar in the forest. And Madam Silence's inn has a reputation for being relatively safe as far as spots in the forest go. So you you were commenting on uh, the aptness of the title. Uh, you said we were at 95%. What 5% are we short? O's. Yeah, because they're just shades. I mean, from just from the intro, I don't know that the forests are themselves all that hellish yet. Well, it's mentioned that the white fox went to uh, went to quote the fallen world and returned. So I'm counting the fallen world as hell. Okay, that's so. the legend of the white fox, who is a bounty hunter, and we'll learn more about the white fox as we read on. Move on to chapter the first one that isn't the framing device. All right, next scene. William Ann, what is this, medieval petticoat junction? Turns out the white fox is Silence and Billy Ann. Sabruki, the pig's like a clean sty. Silence is a four scout. Dob the stable hand. Theopolis, shadows, what a day. Hondo emoji. The white fox is also old man Jenkins. Crossbow accident, so I guess blood attracts the shades. Did Silence just drug an eight-year-old? Sabruki is out, and so is Chesterton. All right, so next scene, uh, we have Silence going out to the stables to talk to her stable hand, say, so go take a break. She also talks to her adopted daughter, Sabruki, whom she's passing off as her niece. And Sabruki, uh, she had a traumatic past, and she copes with it by cleaning and scrubs the walls very clean. But she's also very perceptive. So what's going on here is that uh, a man has entered her bar. The man's name is Chesterton, and he's a wanted criminal. So it turns out that Silence is the White Fox. Um, her daughter, William Ann, also... You know, helps her out by by drugging criminals so that she can later chase them down. Uh, she needs to keep the reputation of her inn as a safe haven so she can't just, like, outright kill people while they're staying at her inn, right? And we learn that Silence is a Forescout, Forescout being the surname of the first generation of people to venture out into the forest. Wait, is it Forescout or Forest Scout? Forest Scout. I would say, I was thinking four scout, like four that being is correct. ahead. Yeah, four scout or sounds be, sounds right. Could be, could be forest scout. Could be, it could be, could be but it isn't. Words. Okay, so we also meet Theopolis, uh, whose name means city of God, I guess. Theopolis. I kept wanting to call him Theophilus because of uh, Theophilus being a, 
He's a person to whom a couple of books in the New Testament are addressed, Theophilus. But this guy's Theopolis with a P instead of a pie. I mean, a pie instead of a phi. Uh, anyways, he's a tax collector, and his job, as far as science is concerned, is to turn in her bounties for her. And he takes a 50% cut. And somehow, after 10 years of doing this, he still has a stranglehold on her finances. And so he comes in with a proposal to buy her out so that the government can, you know, the government of the fortified cities can own this uh, this part of the forest because they don't like their being a part of the forest that's, you know, not under their control. And I, I guess he's like old man Jenkins because he's kind of like, oh, he's just the person that just popped in and I don't know. Uh, not really, though. I probably should have deleted that line after it stopped making sense. Or started never making sense. That would not be within your standard character, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I don't review these notes. I just write them as I go. Maybe I should start doing that. Or stop never ever doing that. No, it's it's your own personal, <laughs> uh, what's the word? Idiom, sir? Yes, idiom. Never change. Idiosyncrasy? That was a Monty Python reference and you missed it. So we have uh, Sabruki is out cleaning the pigsties, and uh, Silence is like, um, good old clean up them pigsties, keep at it, girl. And Sabruki is just like, what's wrong? <laughs> uh, really perceptive. So Silence does not want Sabruki to come in and see Chesterton because uh, Chesterton was actually the one who destroyed her home uh which and and killed her parents but you know sabruki too smart she comes in she grabs a crossbow and she's like are you gonna shoot him like this ant silence and just like uh, just like shoots a crossbow bolt out the window <laughs> almost uh grazing silence's cheek and it's a good thing she didn't because if you draw somebody else's blood that's that's one of the that's one of the rules that if you break it the wraiths come after you and they get so enraged that they pretty much they kill you first and then they kill everyone around. All right, so is that the only rule mentioned so far? So far, it's n not even that rule is mentioned. Okay, it's it's hinted at. Uh, the three rules are at the beginning of the next part. So. Anyways, uh, Tsubruki is uh, sorry for shooting a crossbow, breaking a window, and then Silence says, like, here, here, drink this, drink these drugs, and go to sleep. And she sings her a bedtime story, and uh, there we go. And Chesterton is on his way out. So Chesterton we learn, out. We also learn that uh, Silence has, like... You remember that, um, like, The Simpsons where Homer was following Lenny and Carl to the Stonecutter meeting? So he ties, like a, like, a paint can to their bumper and pokes a hole in it, and he follows the Yellow Drip Road? It's kind of like that, only it's, like, glow-in-the-dark pee um, from the horses. Mm -hmm. Because right. she drugged the horses, yes. Yep. Also, she tells Dob to... Uh, give them water as his last uh, task before seeing them off to ensure that they'll have to pee as soon as they leave. I mean, that is that is how it works. Water in equals water out. Just like my computer. Uh, so, on to the next part. 
All right, next part. Uh, we have the Oaths of the Wraith Radiant, and they are Don't Kindle Flame, Don't Shed the Blood of Another, and Don't Run at Night. Uh, Billion cusses at her mother, Billy Ann, or Billion. So I wonder if she inherited the inn, that would make her Billy Ann heir, right? I right. feel like you're trying to do a reference to something, but I don't get it. Well, her name is Billy Ann. I get that. So billionaire, billionaire. Ah, she, okay. If she yeah takes after the yeah, you got it. Tori, Tori got it. Uh, glow sticks. Now I know why she has Dob water the horses last. One down, four to go. But where are the mushrooms? So there's the dagger that she hasn't used yet. Uh, but the the picture at the beginning of the book has silence with a dagger running through some mushrooms. But we haven't seen the mushrooms yet. We have seen the dagger, but she's not using it yet because obviously she does not want to draw the blood of another. So she finds the uh, member of the team, the member of Chesterton's gang that is on lookout. And she chokes him with a garrote and manages to kill him without drawing blood. Yay. Uh, Okay, so one down, four to go. And then more down, fewer to go. So Ghost can't see blood through a burlap sack. Chesterton about to run at night. Got him. Red Young to the rescue. There's the mushrooms. Your horse explode. Shades go after the source of the fire first. Hey, this is the scene from the illustration. Will I Ann leaves with Chesterton's corpse, but comes back because he's too fat to carry. William Ann uses an elixir, even though her mom only took 50 damage. Deepest ones. Red is back to save the day again. Red eyes in the night. William Ann trips over Red's shoving arms and falls into a shade. Oops. So that's where I left that silver crossbow bolt. Alrighty. So lots of stuff happened in this scene. They go, they find Chesterton. They they kill them all. But that's not the end of the story because as they're taking the corpses back to their inn... They run into a dude from the fortified towns, and his name is Red. And he's like, I've been tracking this guy for a month. Thanks for getting him for me. I'll be sure to give you a cut. But of course, Silence doesn't trust Red to give her anything. And she also suspects that Theopolis uh, tipped them off and is trying to remove Silence's source of income so that she'll turn over her into Theopolis. And so she heads them off at the pass by cutting through the mushroom field, and she sets up a trap for them with uh, with a fire starter that her grandma left her. And, you know, if she has them trip on the trap and start the explosion then the race will go after them because they technically started the fire right so she sets up this explodey trap and uh the wraiths start going after red and his gang and she and william and make off with the corpse of chesterton they don't get the other four gang members but they can still get the leader chesterton and get the bounty for him and as they're going, some wraiths meet them in the mushroom field, and uh, Silence fights them off with her grandmother's silver dagger, as we see in the illustration at the beginning. And then they get back, and they're almost home, but then 
Uh, Red actually had made it uh, made it away from the wraiths. He was able to hide away while the wraiths were killing his companions. And so Red sneaks up and puts a knife to William Ann's throat. And then uh, off in the distance, somebody fires a blunted crossbow bolt at his shoulder. Uh, so as not to draw blood, but to jerk him and make him slip a little so that his knife... Uh, just nicks William Ann so that he draws blood and super duper enrages the wraiths or shades because that's uh that's the that's the worst one the bloodshed one because it makes them mad and they'll their eyes will turn red and they'll go after everybody nearby and so they do and uh as the wraith is attacking red he shoves William Ann and she like goes face first through like a wraith entirely which uh, makes her body start to wither and so silence has to make it back to the inn and find some silver powder in order to cure them and i realized that i forgot to go into detail about the uh 50 hit points thing so they had brought a bag of silver powder with them and silence in fighting the wraith in the mushroom field got her hand withered a little bit so uh, si- or, so William Ann comes and dumps like the entire bag of silver powder on her hand wound. And while she was smart and saved the day, she used too much of the silver powder. So hence she used an elixir, but she probably should have just used like a level one potion, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So now she finds the uh, the silver crossbow bolt lodged in a tree. That's the one that Sabruki had fired out from the kitchen. And uses that silver crossbow bolt to fight her way back into the uh, the barrier that she has set up at her inn. And she can't find any silver powder in the next scene. The next scene is just her looking for silver powder. So there's the long scene and then like a one-page scene where she's like, where's my silver powder? Any questions so far? I have some greater Cosmere questions at the end, but I'll hold them. Okay. Uh, all right, so next scene, where did I put that silver powder? And then that scene's over. All right, and then the following scene. Dob is an idiot, but not a fool. William Ann is mostly okay, save for some horrible disfigurement. Theopolis is back to foreclose on the orphanage. Here's Granny. Silence finds Theopolis' hideout and comes up with an idea. So her stable hand, who is... Kind of dumb, but also, like, not a complete fool. He realizes that, uh, well, for one thing, he brings the silver powder and is able to save Silence and William Ann. And he's like, did you catch the bad guys? And she's like, how did you know? He's like, I'm not a fool. He says, I'm an idiot, but not a fool. Ma'am. Spells ma'am, M-A-M. That's how he says it. Ma'am. I'm not an idiot, ma'am. Or I am a whatever. Uh, and then Theopolis comes back and he's like, so you got the money? And uh, due to a number of things, Silence uh, realizes that Theopolis had set her up and ruined her bounty the previous evening. Oh, it's morning, by the way, uh, the previous evening. So he had glow in the dark mud on his boots. Plus, she realizes that he he had a. He likely had a hideout nearby her inn, and that he was the one that shot the blunted crossbow bolt at Red. And 
also like if red had been tracking chesterton for several months then silence would have heard of him before so she's like who else knew that i was going after chesterton this night and aha it must have been theopolis he had this whole thing set up so they get into a little fight and uh Silence opens up a cupboard where she keeps her dead grandma, who had been turned into a wraith, or a shade. I keep saying wraith, but I mean shade. Who had been turned into a shade, and so, like, Theopolis assumed that he was, you know, safe within the silver barrier of Silence's inn. So he draws blood and enrages dead grandma, not, you know, because he's not following the oaths, even though he should, even when... You know, one of the rules is you follow the rules even when you think you're safe. But Theopolis doesn't do that. And uh, Dead Grandma uh, comes out of the cupboard and kills Theopolis and does not attack uh, Silence. But Silence is able to corral her back into the cupboard as well. And so Silence is like, all right. Let me go look for his hideout. So after a few hours, she finds he has a little cave with a silver barrier set up. And fortunately, Theopolis was greedy enough to stow away Chesterton's corpse so that it doesn't get completely disfigured and uh, by the shades. Because if the, if the shades, you know, if the shades get to it and eat it up, then it won't be recognizable and she won't be able to collect the bounty. So theopolis had uh safely stowed away chesterton's corpse conveniently and silence is like how am i gonna how am i gonna explain this tax collector's sudden disappearance here and then she comes up with an idea and we'll learn about it in the final bookend chapter so final bookend chapter me all right uh the white fox was theopolis all along but he met a gruesome end lucky that silence found the white foxhole now who will Dagon tell stories about? Hoyd stumbles out of the bar, half drunk at noon. You can't tell me it's not Hoyd. You can, but I won't believe you. Okay. That's then the I end. won't. I won't bother telling you that, even though, yeah, it's not Hoyd. That's not. Dang. Is it somebody significant? No. That I just should a dude. know. It's just a dude. Nah, just it's dude. Hoyd. So we go back to the framing story from the point of view of Dagon, who's. Telling the story of how the white fox met his end and how silence, uh, how silence found the hideout and yeah, turned in the bounty and got all the money instead of just half the money. So Dagon makes up. I don't know if he makes up another bounty hunter or just like actually knows more stories. He's the bard. Wait, if he's the bard, is he Hoyd? Probably not. Also, Dagon had a crush on silence before it was popular. But now people only want to marry her because she's rich. And then some, there's some random like non sequitur about a like a a patron seemingly drunk at noon, seemingly half drunk at noon, uh, walking out of the bar. So I just assume that it was Hoyd. I mean, I guess it could theoretically be Hoyd, but I don't know that we actually have anything saying that one way or Brandon. another. I thought you were talking about Dagon. No, not Dagon. There's a there's just like a random offhand comment about somebody leaving the bar, and I thought that was Hoyd. Oh yeah, then that's definitely Hoyd. Here, I'll read it. Uh, it's just like Dagon is talking and just completely interrupts the conversation for seemingly no reason. Nearby, a greasy-looking fellow rose from his meal and shuffled out of the front door, looking half drunk already, though it was only noon. Looking half drunk, so maybe not necessarily, but yeah. There's just like 
I guess it's part of Dagon's character is that he's always eyeing everybody at the bar, so I guess it's still kind of in character for him, but as far as the story goes, uh, I feel like it's just kind of randomly inserted, unless it's Hoyt, because Hoyt likes to randomly insert himself on multiple different worlds. All right, so there are a few things that I would like to tell you that the story doesn't explicitly say. Uh, the first is that this is set on a world that we haven't seen before. It's called Threnody. 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 Yeah. I read that the afterward mentions that. Threnody. Um, it was originally published in an anthology uh, put together by George R. R. Martin called Dangerous Women. Um, yeah. Um, in the afterward, Brandon mentions that he was doing a book signing with George Rescue Rangers Martin. And he was like, do you write short fiction? And Brandon's like, I write long, short fiction. <laughs> um, so one of the major things that this doesn't introduce but gives us a lot more uh, information about are things called cognitive shadows. This isn't the first time you've seen cognitive shadows, and they aren't called that yet, but the shades are a thing called cognitive shadows. Would you they care to guess where you've seen me. cognitive shadows before? They reminded me of Mist Wraiths a little bit, the way they kind of just, like, shuffle around at night. They are not Mist Wraiths, which is to say that Mist Wraiths are not Cognitive Shadows, to the best or of my it, knowledge. Uh, it has something to do with Shadesmar? There is a connection there, sure. I knew it. In that Shadesmar is the Cognitive Realm. Uh, Cognitive Shadows. Um, was it... What, was it Vin? No, Vin, to the best of my knowledge, was never a cognitive shadow. Was it the was it the Warbreaker gods? Those are, actually, yes. Yay. And there are two other examples that I'm not going to tell you about, but you have seen at least two other forms of this same thing before. So the big question I want to get into is silver. So it mm -hmm. definitely does some cool stuff on Threnody, and... Uh, back in the Final Empire, uh, the screws that held Vin's cot together in in prison uh, near the end were made of silver because they are alimantically inert. Right. Um, I feel like there's more going on with silver than we're aware of, but most of the metal-based questions that the fandom asks that I'm aware of deal with aluminum. So I don't know that we've even gotten much in the... Uh, like from from words of Brandon regarding regarding silver because nobody asks it. So what what's up with silver? What do you think? Um, I think maybe different metals have different significance on different worlds. So like they don't use metal on Skad they don't use silver on Skadril. So you know, Threnador, the god of Threnody, had to like had to pick a different metal. He's like, ah, oh, no one's picked silver yet. I'm gonna pick silver as his significant metal for his world. Oh, so Threnody is unique in that it doesn't actually have a shard on planet. Then what is Threnador doing? Uh, Threnador... That's an excellent question. No, I, I, I want to answer this one. This one, it's not that big of a thing. Let me get the actual um, list of I shards so I've got the right name because I always... Is with Alvador and Simador? Uh, one, one sec. Coppermind shards... Sure, let's go with that analysium. That'll that'll link me to what I'm looking for. Maybe. Is that the Stormfather? Here we go. Um, the shard most closely associated 
with Serenity uh, was known as Ambition. But Ambition is dead and was killed in the Threnodite system, which may or may not have anything to do with what sent people um, into the the other continent that has the forests. It, it does not. That happened long ago. Well, we don't know timeline. Timeline. GG. Uh, yeah. So, Craig, would you like to provide us some more insight into the Threnodite system now that you're back? Sure. What would you like to know? A section uh, on the Threnodite system in Arcanum Unbounded. You want to know the whole thing, Dave? I mean, <laughs> I so, feel like that's going to be for a later reading when Ars Arcanum comes up in the diagram. That is, but I, I think I can at least mention here. So... Uh, as Mike mentioned, the Shard Ambition used, used to be based in this area. Um, there was a big fight, and Ambition was mortally wounded here, near, well, near the planet. Um, and that has basically had effects on investiture and things in the area. So, similar to how I would say things are weird on Elantris with the Aeon Door, um, Things are a little bit weird here as well, because there's no shard that's actually guiding things here. There's no, what would you call it, Threnody? Threnodite? Threnody, the Threnodite system. No, no, what did Dave call the fake shard? Oh. Threnador. Threnador, yeah, there's no Threnador. That's the guy that owns the planet. Yep. So So with no guiding force, the cognitive realm tends to be much stronger because it has a much bigger effect. Uh, people's people's thoughts have a much bigger effect on the world. So the afterward mentioned uh, that Brandon that there was a novel going to be set on Serenity. Did we get that yet? No, no. How do you know all this stuff then? Because I go to dot com. Uh, so there is one very important character who is originally from uh, Threnody that. We haven't actually seen, but we've talked to you about him. Uh, and that is Naz. Naz. Nash. Nazgul. Yeah. That is that is Naz, who uh, is the assistant to Chris. And they are known collectively as Chris and Naz. The R's are... The R's ladies? Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's them. I uh, thought her name was R. Like, Chris R. Like, it's R's Arcanum. Um, R's is Latin, I think, for art. So Ars Arcanum would be magical arts. Which would be what her undergrad degree is in, likely. This is her dissertation, I'm guessing. Like this this is her this is her doctorate thesis. I really want to meet the panel who has to approve it. You know what? I just threw that out as like an off the cuff thing, but I think this might actually be her legit doctorate thesis. Personal headcanon accepted. She has to show the dragon. That's it. Maybe. I don't know. Like uh, that's the her thesis doesn't... advisor. Yeah, and the dragon, if he doesn't accept her uh, thesis, then he eats her. You know, we don't know that Frost doesn't eat people. He'd probably breathe fire on her instead then, and then eat, eat her. He'd cook her first. Uh, so do we have anything else uh, Threnody-based? Oh, um, so I feel that this is one of many, but one of the better places for a potential new reader to start with the Cosmere if... If, if say they're they're not used to longer fiction, this is this is a good short fiction entry point. Um, what do you think, Dave? Uh, I like it a lot. It's uh, yeah, it uh, you get Brandon style and see if you like the way he writes. 
And it's what about sixty pages? Yeah, it is. It's long short fiction, as as Brandon <laughs> likes to say. So you might not read it in one sitting, but you could, you know, read it in a two or three days if, to see if it's your if it's your jam. So Craig, I believe you have made the case in opposition to my to my thing that uh, Emperor's Soul is probably the better place to go for that. Um, what go for what? As as a short fiction starting in, or entry point to the oh yeah, I think that um, the advantage Emperor's Soul has is that you you get to you get to meet your main character uh, a little more in depth than you do for Silence. I think they're both fair. Now I know Emperor's Soul was released as a standalone, so it might be easier to access. You don't want someone to just buy the R's or R's Arcanum, the Arcanum Unbounded, just for this short story so it's easier to access ember soul um or you could i, get, I could see dangerous women oh yeah that's true they'll be they, they'll be exposed that way um i think they both have their 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 pluses like this one sort of has like a horror feel to it so people might that might appeal to other people Versus Emperor Soul, which is just sort of like let's study this person, and and it's it's like a Emperor Soul's like a painting and work of art, whereas this is sort of like a horror survival type story. So well, they appeal the, to different people. My take on it would be that Emperor Soul is Baby's first realmatic theory, whereas Shadows for Silence doesn't get into realmatic theory, so. It just depends on what do you want to show a new reader first. I, I still think Mistborn is probably the best starting place overall. Although Warbreaker is a close second just because it's free. Well, are we ready for spoiler time? I am ready for spoiler time. We're ready. Bye, Dave. Bye, Dave. Bye, everybody. All right, Dave is gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. And let's talk spoilers. I kind of covered most of the spoilery stuff for this because I don't feel that it's actually all that spoilery. Especially yeah, since we um, don't ever get back to Threnody. The only thing that I wouldn't want to talk more about is silver. Um, so we see on Mistborn that it's silver is not an alimantic metal. Um, and it is alimantically inert. Uh, it can't be pushed or pulled. Uh, you can't burn it. It's it, it functionally does not exist as far as alimantic is concerned. In, in slightly different ways from aluminum. And there was some recent speculation on the use of silver in Fabrial Science. Um, one thing that I was interested in, because I'm, I'm working on an Oathbringer reread while I wait for Rhythm of War to come out. Uh, so I'm up to the battle at Phelan City, um, where Zeth and Nightblood are fighting. And uh, one of the uh, Parshendi steals uh, Nightblood's sheath. Um, and so it's described as being a silvery metal. So I was like, is it silver? But I looked it up on the Copper Mind, and it is actually aluminum. Um, it doesn't say that in the fiction anywhere, but there's a word of Brandon uh, that somebody asked him during a signing, and he said it's actually aluminum. So never mind about that. I thought it was going, because it's described as a silvery metal, but it's not actually silver. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So, something um, related to, to silver here, well, I'll just use their term silver, um, is that it's used up every time it interacts. Like, it's it ruins silver, I think the text says, right. uh, whenever it interacts with the shade. So, there's a limited supply, and if it actually is aluminum, then it's probably hard for them to make, because... Whatever knowledge they had from their old continent, they probably don't have anymore. So they have a limited supply of silver. Oh, well, which is actually aluminum. You think the silver on Thunderdy is actually aluminum? That's the word of Brandon. No, the word of Brandon was that Nightblood's silvery sheath is aluminum. Oh, sorry. I'm reading the preview chapter at the same time, so I don't get everything. Okay, uh, Talanella Lynn Stone sent you brings up an excellent question uh which is the shades are all cognitive shadows so why are all of these rampant shadows being spawned why and how yeah that's a good question uh Um, it does say in the text that if you die from a shade then you yourself become a shade but not everybody becomes a shade right uh nej in i want to say misborn secret history uh, makes some offhand mention to, like, some reference to how shade or to how cognitive shadows form and how it's weird that Kelsier is one, but like, there's no there's no details. All right, so I can talk a little bit about this, but I am theory crafting a bit here. I don't fully know, but it certainly has something to do with the lack of shard being on this planet, and I should further say that the shard is. Is shattered or splintered, whatever the term is. Um, so therefore, there is no guiding force. Uh, similar again to things on Cell, where it's just sort of a rampant power that's just available. Now the problem with Aeon Door is that it the, the shards themselves, or at least the pieces of the shards that are left, were mostly shoved into the cognitive realm rather than in the spiritual realm where they usually exist. So we do not have that case here on Threnody, um, Ambition's power still exists in the spiritual realm, but because you have no guiding force here, um, things in the cognitive can leak into the physical a little more easily. So I would say that things are more affected by people's thoughts than they normally would be. So people considering the other continent has been taken over by the evil makes it true. People's thoughts of the forest and of the shades make it more true. They respond to that sort of thing. They have these rules in place which sort of controls the shades in their actions in some way. And it's a good thing they do because if they did not have these thoughts, I think it would not work. And that was the case I was going to bring up for the whole silver thing. If it really is silver... It probably works because that's what people think should work. Um, it's not that it's aluminum. It's just people's thoughts are so strongly tied to silver has an effect on the shades. So therefore it does. Um, the way people think about how shades are created is sort of the process that makes it be true. Uh, so, so people thinking they will become shades if they're killed by one basically gets their mind sort of into the cognitive shadow type thing. Again, to what we've seen with, with Kelsier having very strong thoughts about wanting to survive. Uh, so the shard holder for ambition uh, was someone named Ulida, uh, who endowment is actually glad that she is gone. I don't think she was hu- human 
formed either. I think she was one of the other races, right? We don't know. I think we do know. Do we know? I'm opening the yeah. copper mind. That's where I'm, I'm going there, right there. Oh, show Dell, whatever that is. And yeah, she's non-human, so let's see if the copper mind has anything on show Dell. Nope. <laughs> uh, more we don't know. Just not human, not dragon, not a hive mind. Not sure why that third one came up, but that's information we have. Like Kremlings? Hive mind? I don't know. Uh, so shall we move on to the preview chapter this week? Sure. All right. So this is chapter 13 of Rhythm of War. And Tori, take it away. All right. Well, to start with, we have more notes from Navani about Fabrial Science. This time she is talking about uh, splitting a gemstone, uh, which is what you have to do to make the conjoined Fabrials, uh, like the um, span reeds and the, the, what do you call them, the up and down Fabrials. <laughs> um, like are powering the fourth bridge. Um, and she talks about how some sprint are easier to divide than others, namely flame sprint. So I think that what they do for span reads and what they did for the fourth bridge is the same thing. Like, like literally all you're doing is moving something here to move something there. Uh, it's just a, right, a much but... larger application. Yes. Um, with the, span reads though they move in the same way so if i'm writing with a pen over here there's another pen over there that's writing in the same way uh, but some at least some of the fabrials on fourth bridge are moving in opposite directions like we move them down to make the other one go up do you see what i'm saying yeah so it's it's the same science but the opposite science it's it's I just a, a different application of the of the same concept so maybe it's a different gemstone, maybe it's a different um, cage housing it, maybe it's a different kind of spren. We don't know specifics, I don't think. But it all comes from dividing the gemstone and therefore the spren inside it. And some spren uh, don't divide. That's that's the takeaway from that. Um, moving on. Well, I know of at least one spren that is dead set against mating, so... Um. So this this sort of reminds me when they're in the cognitive realm in Shadesmar, they pick up you know one of the the sphere things, which are the actual minds. You can move it around. It's the same thing they're doing in the physical realm, where they're splitting a spring and basically carrying it around. They're they're carrying it in the physical realm, but the cognitive realm, it's probably still connected. Like it's still the same spring in the cognitive realm, which is why this works. Oh, and. Uh... Talonel Elin Stone Sinew, who used to be Felknight, uh, points out that it's uh, conjoined Fabrial versus reversal, reverser Fabrials. Thank you. Um, the same Fabrial, just a different gemstone, he says. Uh, I'm going to take your word for that. I assume you're a better Artifabrian than I am. Moving on? Moving on. Okay. Into the chapter proper. Um, this picks up with Shalon the, the next day after hanging out in the tavern with Adolin and Kaladin. Uh, Shalon is nursing Vale's hangover, um, and she's using Stormlight to heal herself. So she's been gone for a while because she was in disguise being a spy and uh, trying to infiltrate uh, ELA's group. Uh, now that she's back, she's checking her messages, and she has a span read communication that says, the deal is set and arranged, the spren will come, which sounds pretty ominous. Um, 
but it's just a, a message from what's what's that inmate's name? Janat or um, uh, the one that corrupts? Yeah, yeah, the the corrupty spren um, is going to send a spren to uh, bond with somebody. We'll talk more about that later. So she's hanging out, um, decides to go visit her brothers, and they. She's kind of got the sort of relationship with her brothers where she doesn't have to talk to them. She can just sit in the room with them, and and that counts as a visit, which I really wish I had that sort of relationship with some of my family. Um, so she goes to her brother's quarters and is just hanging out and drawing. Uh, there's a little back and forth with um, Jushu, which starts with a J, but you actually pronounce the J in the audiobook. And Shalon is drawing in front of the fireplace and remembering a time when all of her family was together. Uh, but at the memory of her mother, um, she she kind of has a disturbing um, moment where uh, formless starts to come through again. Um, but she focuses on her drawing and pushes those memories away. Um, her other brother, Balat, comes home, and Balat has uh, got himself a job as a uh, as a guard um, there in Irithiru. For Sabaria. Yes, uh, which was the um, high prince that Shalon allied herself with when she uh, first got to the Shattered Plains, you might recall. So Balat comes home with his wife, Elita. Uh, Shalon likes Elita. She used to be jealous of Elita, thinking that this lady was taking her brother away. But now she's a little more mature and she knows better. So Balat and Elita, and there's another guard with Balat, and it's actually Marais. So Shalon is all, oh, he's, you know, he's keeping a close eye on my family and... He's actually, you know, this is a, this is a, a veiled threat. Like, hey, I can get really close to them, and I could kill them at any time. Um, she kind of catches Marais's attention. Um, they they sort of exchange like a head nod or something. Um, Marais says something about uh, blah blah the garden that they have a view of from the balcony there. So Shalon knows that that's Marais saying, hey, meet me in the garden question so far no i'm i'm good so far i've got some stuff for later okay so shalon heads down to the garden which is actually just like an open balcony thing because they're still trying to get plants to grow there in irithiru they haven't figured it out yet but it's coming along as best it can and uh is standing there um he's got his chicken with him which um astute readers will know is actually one of the um avr from Six of the Dusk. Um, so The planet is actually first of the sun. The story is Six of the Dusk. Y- yes. Um, just, just so we're clear. I mean, I was clear, but I'm sorry if the listeners at home were not. Um, anyway, so because Marais is being all, you know, he's he's Marais, uh, Shalon lets Vale take over because Vale is better at this stuff. Um, and they do talk about the chicken. And how it's a weird chicken. Uh, So I am fully on board with every single bird in the Cosmere being a chicken. I I will go out of my way to refer to them as such. I expect you guys to do the same. I expect that I didn't have to tell you to do that. Disagree. Every bird in the Cosmere or just every bird on Roshar? Every bird in the Cosmere. They're all chickens. Disagree. 
I'm down for it. Nope. So this why, why would you restrict your worldview? Open, broaden your mind. They're all chickens. <laughs> there's colorful chickens. There's chickens with big beaks. There's black chickens. There's chickens for food. There's chickens that go hunt. There's there's all sorts of chickens. Every type of chicken you could possibly imagine. Chickens as far as the eye can see. So this chicken um, catches itself a mole and Vale's like, what even is that thing? And Marais explains that, you know, moles like to dig and go into places they're not wanted. And uh, so he, he kind of, there's there's some implied threats there. Um, so Marais kind of pokes at Shalon like, hey, when are you going to officially join the Ghost Bloods? And she's like, um, I really can't because I don't know what your goals are. And he says, no, our, our goals are pretty simple. Like, we literally want power. And in this case, he is talking about investiture. So he explains that uh, Stormlight is sort of easily transportable as compared to other forms of investiture. Like, he literally talks about the other planets, um, Nalthus and Skadriel, which were mentioned in ELA's notes. Nalathus and, and Skadariel. No, he corrects her. It's Nalthus and Skadriel. I'm just saying, in the notes, they were Nalathus right. and Skadariel. Yeah. Uh, so he's thinking that if you could find a way to get the Stormlight through Shadesmar uh, to these other planets, that you could make something of a, a fortune that way and he he does explain that there are limits the farther you get from the home planet um the the harder it is to transport whatever investiture you're transporting so nevertheless if you could find a way to do it then you you would have kind of a monopoly on this thing she tells him she has news. Uh, Zhanat, uh has agreed to send a spren that might bond with somebody. Marais doesn't like that. He's he's like, no, you were supposed to actually send me a spren to bond. And she's like, well, you know, I think the the possibility of a spren spren bond is the best you can hope for. He's, and he's Cosmere like, okay. aware enough that he should know better, right? Um, so so he does eventually accept that line of thinking. And he verifies that the spy among her people is one of her light weavers, or at least he says it's one of her light weavers. We don't know if he's telling the truth or not. But he always tells the truth. Sure. Uh, have we gotten definite word on like how many of her squires are now full light weavers? Slash, I does she still have, have any squires? Like... What what's up there? Do we know anything? I don't think so. Nope. At least I don't recall seeing it. Like we, I I remember vaguely getting mentioned that a couple of her named former squires are now proper light weavers and have bonds, like Red and Gaz. I thought I could yeah, be getting I this wrong. I think so. Don't know. I'd have to reread preview chapters, and I don't think I'm ready for that yet. I think I'm just going to wait until the book proper comes out. Yeah. So. Moving on, Marais is like, okay, I've got your next job for you. What I need you to do is go find this guy, uh, Rest Restares. Um, 
hiding somewhere that the ghost bloods can't get to. And she's like, well, where, where in the world can the ghost bloods not get to? And he's like, well, it, actually, that's, it's funny you ask. It's not in the world. It's in Shadesmar. It's lasting integrity, the home of the honor sprint. That's where he's hiding and you need to go find him. And she's like, um, how? And he's like, nah, I don't know. You figure it out. So just to give background to everybody, there are two names that have been dropped pretty regularly throughout the series that we haven't met either of so far. Those are Thydekar and Rastares. Uh, Thydekar is, to the best of our knowledge, the leader of the Ghostbloods, and Rastares is, to the best of our knowledge, either the leader of the Sons of Honor or the former leader of the Sons of Honor, and Gavilar may have supplanted him. We do not know. But we learn here that whatever deep knowledge the Sons of Honor had, Rastares has, and no one else does. No one else was um, was inner circle enough to get that knowledge who's still around. So that's stuff that Gavilar was talking about and playing around with mm-hmm. in the, the prequel, or prequel, prologue. Which, I mean, since he was working with um, Nail and, who was the other one? Who was the other Herald? The one who was trying to not be a Herald and passes heraldry on to Gavilar. What was his name? Kalak. Kalak, yes. Kal- yeah. Those two might know. They might have been brought in enough to to have knowledge, but Nail is officially working for Odium, so he's he's kind of off the table. Um, but they might be able to dig up Kalak somewhere, so that's that's a potential not Ristari's person who might know this stuff. But as far as the Ghostbloods are concerned, it's just Ristari's. So who foresaw this coming? Shalal would need to go visit this honor city. I wonder what gave us a hint towards that. No idea. But Marais says that if Shalon manages to pull this off, then her reward will be he'll answer any question she has. And if she wants to leave the Ghostbloods, then he'll just let her. But he's pretty sure that once she has all the answers, she's going to want to join them. So they say their farewells and go their separate ways. And that is the end of this week's chapter. Uh, he also says that while some other Ghostbloods may attempt to kill her, he'll do his best to discourage that, which is not right. suggesting that she's going to be anything approaching safe, just that he's not personally going to try to kill her and he'll try to talk other people out of it. So Yeah, he these... says that he and his Baps, which would be Iatil, will definitely let her go if she wants to go. That's what he says. So these other ghost bloods, are they like why don't they like her? Like usually people seem to like Vale because she's so personal. They do not is it because she won't like fully join them? That Maybe might be part of it. Like her? It yeah. might be her association with Yasna, who mm. Many Ghostbloods apparently have deep personal beef with for reasons well, also, that we haven't learned entirely yet. Also, at the time that she joined them in Words of Radiance, there there were some that took immediate issue with her rising so quickly in their ranks. And the fact that she killed someone to join? Yeah, that. That That oh. is, I believe the, the phrasing was, it's not prohibited, but it's also not encouraged. And then there were many attempts on her life in the weeks following uh, that I think equally were not encouraged, but also not prohibited. So the big takeaway here is that Marais knows that she was a mole 
Um, but Vale, of course, misses the wordplay, so she's like, eh, whatever. So, Oh, yeah. Vale doesn't even begin to give a crap about an invasive species that, like, Mraza's like, Vale, back off for a minute, let Shallan out front, she'll want to know this. Right. Mraza knows so much about Shallan. She, he, he fully knows about the three different personalities, which one is which, like, he can tell the difference. He knows which likes information and and can talk to each of them like he knows so much underline and emphasize this like it's scary how much he knows about shallan and her three identities and i read i thought i read the uh annotation for this one but i can't remember it so well the annotation is just that the cosmere is finally becoming more noticeable in the books so this oh, is this yeah. is starting the process of going from each book is self-contained to there's a whole big thing that his books are connected. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That, that we are now previous to this book. It was, if you read the other stuff, you can spot some things and it's nice and you get a few more connections starting here. If you don't read the other stuff, you're going to start missing things. So he's going to do his best to explain what needs to be done but yeah if you if you have the other books read you're gonna get more out of it um, and then and then presumably nearing the end like books you know nine and ten of stormlight era four of mistborn maybe dragon steel we don't know um at that point if you haven't read all the other stuff you're just probably gonna be lost so the big thing from this chapter i think is that they can carry investiture in spheres and it looks like the ghost bloods want to be able to take investiture off of out of the Roshar area. But the Oath Pack, I believe it's the Oath Pack specifically keeps anything tied to Roshar in the Roshar system. So Ghost Bloods want the Oath Pack to be ended and probably at least they claim they want Odium taken care of. So that's how they want to solve the Oath Pack being finished. Well, Odium is a force of Cosmere-wide chaos, so that makes sense. Especially, the, they're they're giving like a, a mafia kind of vibe, like an, an organized crime kind yeah. of vibe. Um, so it looks like that that's what their goal is, because if you can carry Investiture from here over to, let's say, Nalthus as a breath, you can sell the breath for a lot of well, money there, but you can also do other things with it. So... I think that's the, the goal here is because you can't really use the, the power so much on Skadriel. Like, it's it's a little weird, I guess. Maybe you can do some things with Furukami, if you know how. But I think it's like going to places like uh, Nalthus, where you can actually get some real value out, out of it. Mm-hmm. But also, it makes me wonder if, um, uh, what's his face, Vasher can even leave Roshar at this point. He, his breaths that he has, now unless he suppressed breaths from Nalthus, most of the investiture he gets is from spheres, at least we imagine that's the case. And therefore, he might not be able to leave easily. He might be stuck on Roshar right now. I'm sure he doesn't mind. And Sure. You know, as as I want to say Vale puts it, um, yeah, the, the prison is the size of a planet. It is not exactly restrictive. Um, however, Nightblood, I don't have the same thought. Because of how Nightblood was created and what he is, I don't think he's stuck to the Rosharian system. 
Nightblood is weird, though. I agree with you on that final point. <laughs> so yeah, so it looks like that's no point. what um, Maurice claims that the ghost bloods are up to, and we know that just because of the whole Cosmere type thing. Shalon, Vale, and Radiant have no idea what he's talking about, but we do. Well, she'll learn pretty quickly. It'll yeah, be. It, it seems like once we get to Rastaris, we're going to get a lot of this information, and apparently. At least Maurice is pretty confident that Shalom will join the Ghost Bloods permanently because of this. Yeah. It'll be neat to have a like legit Cosmere aware main viewpoint character from here yeah. out. Agreed. So do we, do we want to assume that Ristaris, I mean, obviously is a world hopper, but assume that it's someone we have seen before? I don't want to assume anything about him yet, but don't let me stop you from theorizing. I would oh, back you on that theory, but I don't necessarily agree that's the case. So, so I think Gavilar got most of his information from the Heralds rather than from Rastaris. But hey, we're just guessing at this point. So Tori has to go. Um, yeah. And I believe we've pretty well covered things. So why don't we go ahead and end here for the week? Sounds good. Uh, Craig, I will give you two minutes for any final things you want to say, because I know you've always got something else. No, I think I'm good. All right. Then. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's a. It's I a always Christmas have more I could say, but Tori's got to go, so we got to go. <laughs> well, thank you guys. It's an October Christmas miracle. It is. <laughs> All right. Uh, bye, everybody. Good bye. night, Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at @CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is "Traveling Made Up Continents" by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening.